you play keys as well, don't you? As well yeah, as guitar. Yeah, keys and guitar. Yeah. You kind of play everything, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Is that because you're a control freak? No, just bored teenager back in the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now, just a bored grown-up. Now, bored grown-up, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Darling, you are in now. It's all about to change. Darling, you are in now. It's all about to change. Darling, you are in now. It's all about to change. Darling. You are now. It's all about to change. Don't you worry now. It's all about to change. Don't you worry now It's all about to change Don't you worry now It's all about
more than you think. It's so hard so your hands in. Your hands in. Hello to all of you magnificent people out there in podcast land. To the friends of the Coming Up Next work, how are you this week? What an awesome and inspiring guest I have for you this week. You've just heard an amazing tune of his called Summer. It was the first song he ever wrote. Quite the debut, if you ask me. He is a superb and just remarkably talented singer-songwriter. You can find his music on Facebook at facebook.com slash haydenkalnin or over on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash haydenkalnin. And you guessed it, my guest this week is Hayden Kalnin. And if you feel like supporting Coming Up Next, jump on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash cunpodcast or over at our Twitter. Hit the thumbs up button, give us a like and let us know what you think of all the rambles. That's right all of them which you can find on itunes stitcher and podbean platforms so without further adieu my friends of the coming up next work i give you my ramble with hayden Kalnin. and stay around to the end friends because it's a very special treat hayden does an acoustic performance live in my living room same thing you're walking the path less traveled yeah so to speak um and it's really inspiring to meet people who are doing that Uh, and you actually um you came at music Mm. through film studies that's Mm. pretty rad yeah that was good where did you study uh swinney that's where i studied yeah oh cool what year did you graduate uh oh Right. I think. Okay. Maybe. A while, maybe four, four, four or five years ago. Yeah, right. Yeah. How old am I now? 25? Yeah, probably about four years ago. Yeah, right. I was 2008. Yeah. Well, that I finished in 2007. Yeah. Does that mean you graduated in 2008? I think so. Right. Yeah. So I was probably, yeah, 2012 graduate. Mm. But, yeah. I met but someone. I loved it there. I thought it was... And being on that side was pretty much well. I was living on the on the north side of town, and I knew very little about this kind of area. And you know, so it was just nice to have to travel to the other side of Melbourne mm. to kind of go to uni. It made the two worlds very separate. Mm. I found, and I met a whole bunch of people that I would have never met. You know, mm. and all obviously with similar interests and. And all that, so... Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And what was it about film studies that attracted you to that? Jeez, I don't know. I loved movies, like, mm. growing up. I was obsessed. So I thought, shit, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I want to go to uni because I want to do something. And I didn't want to wait. So I was like, all right, study film, see what happens. I did a bit of media and, um, and I made a few films in like end of year for year 12 and studio art and things just because I was into it at that time and I loved it so I was like alright I'm mm. going to study it so I went there and fell in love with it and 
had a good time, but then I kind of discovered sound design and things like that through the course. Yeah, right. And just kind of went off on my own a little bit with uh, with sound, which was great. I like, yeah, I don't regret going to film school, but I'm still not really doing anything with what I probably, you know, all my, what I, what I learned in film school, I'm not putting into much practice mm. outside of yeah studying so mm. but I think that can be the case for a lot of people you know you've got to study something to figure out either that's what you want to do or it's not what you want to do yeah yeah no, I agree with that I came mm. to film uh, via acting I went to yeah. the, did drama school and uh, it's not that I didn't want to be an actor it was more that I felt very disempowered as an actor so I went to film school to learn how to make shit basically mm, yeah great yeah. Um, I guess in a similar way when I went to I was doing it at Monash and I was doing a film studies component so mm. I kind of through the acting degree found the gateway to yeah. another passion mm. similar to you yeah um, I was reading that uh, in your I think it was your Triple J unearthed profile that mm, your dad uh, that old you, thing yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, that your dad gave you a guitar at the age of 14 and yeah. you've played every day since. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Mm. Yeah. Um, how... I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in people's origin stories and how they sort of fell into these kind of creative endeavours. Um, because I think when you're kind of that age, it's not necessarily deliberate. You're not seeking it, but you're feeling intuitively into a creative kind of craft. Yeah. I, well, all, my whole family is pretty creative, minus the old man. He's a bit, you know, he's businessman. And right. then, like, <laughs> mum's big in the art world and, like, has owned a few galleries and things like that around the peninsula. And so she's big arty. She used to be a photographer and all these things. And then my sister's both super, super arty, amazing artists. And I was like, oh, shit, art's pretty cool. So that kind of got me into, like, being creative I guess you know just like admiring watching my sisters do that and uh, yeah and then when dad give, gave me the guitar well he sort of gave me the guitar it was more like you can have this but this is my guitar you, you can have it and now I've still got it so <laughs> but yeah I just picked it up and I, I didn't you know think like hey I want to be a musician it was more just you know you're hanging with your mates and there's a guitar there and kind of just play around on it and mm. fell in love with it you know so the moral of that is that I shouldn't lend you anything yeah you won't get it back yeah <laughs> not for a while it's 11 years yeah it's been on loan yeah yeah it's it's been a while he hasn't asked for it back yet but he hasn't picked it up since he like you know a year after he probably got the thing which mm. when he was probably about the same age when he was about 14 15 mm. so it's a pretty old guitar but it's beautiful and it's certainly responsible for putting music in my life mm. for sure one of the questions I love asking people is um, do you remember the first time that you entertained people and that you got that kind of feedback that made you feel like this is something that I want to follow this is a lead that I want to follow yeah yeah it would have been year 12 um, when I, I was doing studio arts as um at my school is one of my VCE subjects and my medium was film because um, it was the only way I could do film 
in high school because we had media up to year 11 and then nothing in year 12. So I could either do it by correspondence or do studio art and do film through that. So I made some films for year 12 and then I was looking into copyright laws and things like that. And I was like, oh, well, I can't, I'm a student. I can't afford to have Death Cab for Cutie on, on my student film. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just kind of wrote a few songs and put them on, on the films. And then anyway, I got to the stage where I was starting to show people the films and mum watched this film. She's like, who's that? Who's the music by? It's great. You know? And I was like, oh, I did it. <laughs> you know, a bit, bit sheepish. sheepish. Yeah, totally. And um, and then sh- she was super supportive from then on, mm. pretty much. And just, yeah, which really gave me that extra push to kind of fall in love with music more mm. and feel like, oh, maybe I'm not terrible. <laughs> so it's good, yeah. It's amazing how much just that little kind of nurturing can... Oh, it's all you need. Yeah, it's funny. And it's, it's, it's similar, like, so I work... Um, a couple of days a week at the, a juvenile prison in uh, in Melbourne, in Parkville, and I'm doing music there with the kids, and I'm kind of taking the same attitude of that, you know, um, unconditional positive regard of, you know, yes, these kids are in there because they've done something, or, but, you know, they're a kid, and any sort of encouragement for them is, you know, huge. It's a mm. big deal. They've probably never had it, you know, so... I'm trying to do the same. <laughs> yeah. Just don't have kids yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got some. Yeah, I've got some students. Yeah. In Parkville. Yeah, yeah. So it's good. How did you start working at a juvenile detention prison? Um, I don't really know. It was just kind of I fell into it. I was recording um, a friend of mine. I was recording her album. Um, this this girl Eliza Hull, who's a beautiful musician. Um, and she was working there and I didn't know much about it, but I was really interested in it. And then she just said, hey, there might be a job coming up there for three months because one of the teachers is leaving on holiday for three months and they need someone to fill in. So I was like, oh yeah, well, here's, you know, take in my resume for me and just like tell them about me. And then I went in and yeah, did it for three months, and then they just ended up offering me offering me a job at the end of it. So I've been kind of been there since, and it's awesome. Wow, fills in the time. Yeah, you know, get playing music all the time can get pretty, you know, writer's block and things like that. And this has kind of pushed me to have plenty to write about and plenty to do and plenty to think about, and you know, mm. open my eyes a little bit to the real world. <laughs> do so. you do you draw influence from? your real life sort of personal experiences yeah yeah all the time yeah and then yeah and the funny thing is you know i i've written all these songs about you know shit that i've been through but then you you meet these kids and you you hear their story and you you kind of just go oh man i've had it so easy (laughs) so you know it certainly pushed my writing to a different 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 topics especially you know, not singing about, you know, being angsty and pissed off or, you know, bitter about little things. You know, it's now a much bigger, uh, a bigger topic to talk about mm. in songwriting, which is great. Look like you have a specific example that you're thinking of. 
Um, well, on the album that I've, I've just finished recording, um, a lot of the songs compare... Well I, well, I guess I used to use a lot of analogies uh, in my songwriting. Uh, you know, say one thing but mean something else. And that's totally changed. Now it's just pretty honest. Like, this is what I'm saying. This is mm. how I'm feeling. Which I'm a bit worried about, to be honest. Because I feel like <laughs> a lot of people who do listen to my music like that about the lyrics yeah. whereas this shit is just you know straight up right so, a bit yeah. more direct yeah I mean there's still you know weird weird stuff in there but it's it's certainly a lot more direct and, and mm. to the point for me I know whenever I sit down to write a film or you know like this podcast for example it's all about my experiences and how I am kind of learning from that in a in a more direct way I guess but when you sit down to write a script or a story or something it's always everything has to be personal yeah. I, I feel I mean you can't write from someone else's perspective really yeah your imagination goes <laughs> the older you get I think I'm not so I'm not so sure if it's that your imagination goes so much as that you're you can only perceive things that you've experienced yeah yeah um, and you become more in tune with that as you mm. get older yeah like I could never know what it's like to walk a day in your shoes and, you know, the pain that I feel when, uh, what's a good example? If I found out some tragic news, say, the pain that I feel relative to that, uh, say, for example, my parents got divorced. When my parents got divorced, that pain could be relative to you finding out that um, your girlfriend's cheated on you or yeah. something like that yeah. because we're both starting we're, we're starting from completely different experience points mm. and I think that taking that into your art you can never only take it from your own vantage point yeah yeah absolutely um, you do you draw on experience and you relate to people through you know relating their experience to something that I guess you have also experience whether you know no matter how similar it is i think you've got to draw comparisons to relate with somebody mm. or at least to feel <laughs> mm. yeah no i uh, i i concur with that um so just backtracking a little bit one thing i should warn you about is this podcast is also a giant tangent um that's great not necessarily yeah. in a linear fashion yeah no, <laughs> that's that's good so you get this guitar when you're 14 mm -hmm. and you start playing in bands and you start diversifying your repertoire as a musician. What was kind of behind the choice to play different um, instruments? I guess boredom more than anything, you know. And, and, you, and when you get inspired, you know, when you see somebody, you know, once you're kind of getting into music and you see somebody play something that just kind of puts you back a bit. And you're like, oh man, I know Jackal about this instrument or they just play it completely different. And you just, I don't know, I get inspired really easy by other creative types or just, you know, or a really good song. And it makes me want to learn it or, you know, try and play like it. So, mm. yeah. And vocals was the last thing that you learned? Yeah, yeah. I never, never thought singing 
I wasn't. I never thought I was ever going to sing. That's just something that I. I guess I was in a few. Yeah, a, this one band in particular when I was about seventeen, sixteen or seventeen, when we were kind of starting to get really into it, into the songwriting side of things. This one singer that we had, you know, he was he was great, but he just wasn't great, you know, mm-hmm. and and I I was getting quite good at guitar at this stage and a couple of other guys in the band were getting quite good but then the singer just kind of just stayed the singer and uh, just didn't really give anything and as much as I love the guy I wanted to keep pushing myself and Mm. then I was like fuck it I'll give it a crack so I just started singing yeah and then yeah it just kind of came really quickly and you know I always I never thought I was any good Mm. until someone heard it and was like oh, that's great you know that's what a great voice I was like, okay <laughs> thanks <laughs> i'll keep going then mm. you know your vocals are definitely for me the first time listening to your music the most one of the most striking parts oh, of great. what you do mm. oh. uh, and certainly gives you a distinct sound mm. a distinct quality in my opinion yeah well that's good to hear yeah thanks <laughs> um do you feel like you kind of, uh, I guess you've been doing this now in that way for mm. what, seven, eight years? Yeah. Do you feel like you can kind of take ownership of your creative confidence? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You've, I think you have to. I think anybody has to, no matter what they do. You've got to, you can't just think you're somebody else or you can't, uh, I don't know. You, you know, you you gather influence from a range of different people, but still, it's you doing whatever it is at the end of the day. Whether you're mimicking somebody or whether you're getting better or worse or different as you as you go on, it's uh, it's still you, and it's still coming from you. So it's you know, it's it's tricky, mm. but yeah, I'm totally happy with the way things are going in that regard. Yeah. And another thing that I um, notice, which is kind of, I guess, in line with what you're saying and what we were talking about before about making things so personal is how connected you are to the emotionality of what you're singing about. Mm. It's very distinct. It's like uh, I started, I recently heard a podcast. Um, I listened to a podcast called You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes, which is something that's influenced me. And he did a um, podcast with Glenn Hansard. Ah, yeah. That guy's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, yeah. I've since gone and, and listened to him a little bit mm. and I can see there's obvious, it's not a direct influence with you, but in terms of his the way he's jacked into his mm. emotional being is quite similar to you, I feel. Yeah, I love that guy. He's a genius in my eyes. Yeah, I've seen him play a few times. Whenever he's in Melbourne, I try and get there to go and watch Glenn Hansard. He's like... One of those artists that you just kind of... For me, I went and watched for the first time and I just was more or less speechless after it. Just never seen that emotion. Or just someone deliver a song and and I felt like I'd experienced it or I'd felt like I was a, I knew exactly how they felt. And that was life-changer for me. I was like, mm. okay, sometimes getting real deep within yourself and just expressing it 
is a great thing. And I never did that until I kind of saw that guy, Glenn Hansard, you know? He opened my world mm. big time to songwriting. Mm. Wow. Mm. Did you see it once? I did, yeah, by chance. It was on at the Nova when it was, yeah, first out. And that's pretty much what got me into uh, Glenn Hansard was I was hanging out with my auntie and my sister and we were like, hey, let's go see something at the Nova. And um, yeah, we were like, hey, what's good? And they were like, hey, see this movie once. If you're into music, you know, you should see this. We watched that and I was like, oh my God, incredible. Mm. Like, yeah, what a great story and great, you know, great film. I still haven't watched it yet. You've got to see it. I, I left myself open to that. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do remember when I was, when it first came out, it was like 2007 or eight or something, I think. Yeah, um, I remember going over to an actor friend's place and he had, he was going through a pretty rough breakup and, um, he's like, man, you got to check out this song from this, um, musical movie, mm. musical once. Mm. And it was, um, falling slowly. Yeah. And he played it for me and I'm just watching him just go through all sorts of like just pain and anguish while he's what I'm like, I understand that you're feeling very connected to this and I'm feeling connected to this, but it's, you, you, you're kind of putting mm. yourself through a bit of a ringer here. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it's that, it's that, that whole film is just feels so genuine. You know, you've got an actor who's a musician who's singing his own songs and the film's made by his old drummer from his old band okay. so it's just like you know everyone who's made that film knows each other and is personal so it's just comfortable and you just see that throughout the movie it's beautiful watch and mm. I think you know when you eventually do see it if you do like you'll I reckon you'll get the same thing I think mm. you'll watch it you'll be like ah oh, yeah that's like I get the pain mm. <laughs> It's good. I got. I can. I, I certainly get it from listening to the music, mm. um, and it's definitely on my list. I just haven't quite sat down to do it yet. Yeah, yeah. I think I've actually got it on DVD somewhere. Ah, yeah. So I really have no excuse, um, mm. aside from my own uh, stubbornness. <laughs> uh, perhaps it's a desire not to feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could be it. Um, I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> and that, and he won uh, an Academy Award for yeah. Uh, yeah. that song. Mm. It's quite remarkable. Yeah, I mean, before, and that was it was funny because I was I was I don't know people get a bit precious about finding a musician or whatever, and then I saw that movie and I discovered Glenn Hansard, and then no one was really on the bandwagon yet, and I was so excited. I'm like showing all these people this guy, and mm. and then he won an Academy Award, and then. That all changed. I was like, "Damn it!" You know, and like, it's great. You know, like he's he's been playing music before the, the whole once thing. He was in ba a band called The Frames, and they were huge, but just in Ireland, and that was it. And they never kind of made it to Australia or America or anywhere. And then that movie came out, and then they're everywhere, and that's great because mm -hmm. then that means he got to come to Australia, and I get to see him play. And so I can't be too, you know, pissed off about someone's you know success success <laughs> as much as you, you kind of don't want it i understand what yeah. you mean though there is something really kind of cool and special in mm. having an underground or unknown or indie artist that yeah. you get to introduce people to i have actually found that with you recently yeah. oh, i've cool. shown a few people your music and yeah. they've gone wow that's fucking awesome ah, cool and i've been like yeah <laughs> basking in your reflective glory yeah <laughs> um 
you were shortlisted, speaking of awards, for the um, International Songwriter Competition yeah, in 2013. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of continued you on this trajectory um, in a way of you know you you kind of, you get this guitar when you're 14 you start learning all these different instruments in your kind of late teens do this performance in when you're in year 12 go to film school write the score for your show discover sound design and then within 12 months you're already shortlisted for this incredible award yeah it's great it's just you know, you kind of you want. I think you want any any path you take to be progressive. I think that's pretty important. And if it's not going that direction, then I don't know. You've got to push through it and you know make it do that whole parabola <laughs> <laughs> thing. You've got to keep yeah. You got to keep pushing yourself. But I, I feel lucky about all that stuff more so than I've worked for it. Like I just doing what I do, and people more more as more and more people discover it. It kind of does it itself mm. so I mean it's great but it certainly hasn't like something like the international songwriting competition that it's it's a great feeling to be shortlisted but it's by no means something that has pushed me more mm. to you know to even apply to that thing again because you know it's a competition and I feel weird about competitions mm. <laughs> but you know it was a great great thing yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think any of us do it for the kind of accolades of a competition. Mm. I feel like we're doing it because we want to tell stories or yeah. we want to express ourselves in artistic and creative ways, and hopefully that's in a way that's accessible to people, and we can make a living doing that. Mm. Um, but it's always nice when you do get a bit of recognition to let you know. I think particularly in your earlier years. That you're that you you're actually doing some good shit. Yeah, yeah. It's in, yeah. It, I mean, it is important to have someone tell you that you're doing the right thing. Mm. Definitely, but at the same time, I know plenty of people that are doing something that and doing really well, but just totally unhappy, and that's really sad to see. And I'm I'm usually the, their friend that's like, are you sure you want to be doing this or whatever? But, mm. you know, and for some people it's great and other people, you know, take and... I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty honest with people. Like if I'm feeling a certain way, I'll just be upfront and be like, hey, you know, this is how I feel. And, you know, people can get pretty precious about that stuff. I can too. <laughs> totally. Mm. Mm. I guess it's when you start finding your ability to separate your ego from your mm. uh, your creativity I guess yeah. Um, yeah that that and that's when you really find your feet mm. and you're very lucky that you've found that yeah. at, a, at a much younger age than I did <laughs> so tell me about uh, for yeah. my help uh, well that was the first song I ever put out I guess like recorded I still recorded it at home in my free time with my little knowledge of back then and that's the song that kind of keeps giving and I can't escape in the end <laughs> which is nice but you know it's the song I wrote about a friend and you know he he was kind of on a path of uh, uh, how do 
he put it, self-destruction, I guess, you know, wouldn't listen to anybody and just kind of pissing people off and losing friends along the way. And, and you know, I, I stuck with him for a long time, still am, and, you know, he's fighting his demons and stuff, and it just kind of, a song came out of it, I guess. And it's it's great that it's people are still listening to it. Like, it's still, you know, people might, I don't know, it's still my most popular song, and, and that's exciting that people are discovering it. But I feel also it doesn't represent what I'm doing now. It just represents what I was doing, you know, mm. which is, which is great. Yeah. I just feel funny about that song. <laughs> mm. Mm. So what do you mean by it's the song that keeps on giving? Uh, that's, it's the song that people are still discovering every day from that aren't from Australia, I guess it's the, it's the global song that's doing really well. It's, it's had a few sinks on like American TV shows and things like that, which just keep pushing it. And then it was on like, um, so you think you can dance in the U S so they did a routine to it and then that boosted it again. And then, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I, it, yeah, keeps popping up on all these places and I've been trying to separate myself from it for years, <laughs> mm. but you know, it's great. It's still introducing people to, to my music mm. like they'll get to that and then they'll get to the new stuff anyway so it's funny I was listening to a, um, another podcast with Mark Marin this morning while I was um, while I was at the gym and he was talking about how comedians the where the expectation with comedians is that it's always new material mm. versus the expectation with musicians where it's always the old material yeah. it's the hits that you know that you want to hear whereas with comedy it's you want to be hearing and shocked for the first time yeah and you want to be having that laugh and that experience for the mm. first time mm. um so i'm guessing that's kind of that's exactly it what you're talking about <laughs> yeah um new and you uh you've got quite an online following i guess that's where people are discovering your music internationally as well as at yeah. home I mean, I looked at some of your... The stats on some of your songs are huge. Yeah, it's good. Mm. Um, how have you found building this kind of online following um, with little kind of traditional media? Mm. It, I haven't done anything, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you just... I Well, that... It's, you know, I've Except made... Except bear your soul. Yeah, exactly. I've made my art and I've just put it on what is now the go-to thing which is the internet and it's done its own thing mm. you know it only takes the right person to come across it for them to you know market it uh, from them like uh, maybe a good blog or or something that's gonna lots of people are already into and you know it's a sharing system the internet and if the right people share it more people are gonna get traffic to it so I haven't done anything. <laughs> it's just kind of done it itself, which is great. Mm. Mm. And from that, you've managed to get awesome representation. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, people to do your uh, press and PR. and Yeah. Um, you, like you say, you ha you've had your music featured on American shows like mm. Teen Wolf and The 100. And yeah. That's pretty outstanding for someone who's... That's great. Sort of 
been doing this for a couple of years. Well, I mean, you've been doing it for 11 years, really. But when did you kind of transition from hobby into career? Oh, maybe. Yeah, probably three years ago. Wow. I think. Yeah. Like up until I got a manager and got a booking agent and mm. all that, it was totally a hobby. Mm. It was nothing more. Never had been. I never thought of continuing it. And then, yeah, and then things change. And that's that's great. I love change. Mm. You know, maybe next year I won't be doing this. <laughs> I hope I hope I am, but you never know what, what can happen. So It's very true. Mm. You can only really hurl yourself in the general direction of your dreams. Yeah. And, I, you know, it does come down to being happy. And at the moment, I'm happy doing it, so mm. I'll keep doing it. But as soon as that fades, I will definitely have a break mm. from it as well so it must be pretty cool to be you know touring with people like yeah. missy higgins and yeah. matt corby and i saw um that you supported tom odell as yeah well. tom odell. i discovered him not long ago he's incredible old wow. me yeah uh, the there's a version of that uh from some burberry fashion mm-hmm. parade mm-hmm. i don't know if you've seen that. yeah the first time i watched that i just like I think I've watched it on repeat yeah. about fifteen times. It is almost harrowing. Yeah, he's phenomenal. He was it was great to tour with because he's such a performer. Mm. You know, you, it feels like you know I never saw a Beatles show, but it feels that's the kind of energy. Wow! In that room, when when you watch him, it's just mm. he is completely in his own zone. And his band are fantastic, but just haunting beautiful stuff and the crowd are totally in there with it and it's yeah it's, it, he was a pleasure to mm. play some shows with for sure where was that um the sydney show was i think at the metro i think um i think that's the name of it oh so it was in australia yeah yeah australia yeah throughout it. australia yeah so i think there are only a couple of dates maybe four four or five dates but it was a good time Mm. Yeah. So you, you you mentioned in there that he's um, quite a performer and the energy that he creates in the room. Do you find that you are kind of learning your craft from these people? Because stagecraft isn't really something that you... You can only really learn it by doing it. Yeah. Um, do you find that you learn from people like him and Matt Corby and Missy Higgins how to... Or what their kind of... Um, vehicles are to connect with the audience yeah i think the more you perform and the bigger your audiences get that's when you kind of can come out of your shell a little bit Mm. you know i when i first started performing you know you know playing to 20 people in a room or whatever it's just you know you're just you're just yourself and you're just like having a laugh having a joke and then all of a sudden when you've got a couple of hundred people watching you then it changes a little bit and then when you do like these big supports where you've got thousands of people watching you and then it's all of a sudden like learning it all again. So it's it's progressive like anything. And I'm still not a comfortable performer. Like I don't feel nervous or anything when I perform, but I don't really look up. Mm. You know, There's, I just, I can't, I don't know. When you're, when, you're on a, when you're on a stage and you've got these lights on your face, you look up, you still can't see anything out there. So it's not an issue, but... It's. I would feel like I would be faking it if I was looking out, or mm. I was, you know. So I don't know. It's stage. 
performance is bizarre and I think everyone's got their own thing or you're trying to be like somebody and but when you're trying to you know steal someone's move or you know whatever then it just I don't think it works I think mm. you, you do learn off others you learn how to deal with situations like hecklers or a noisy room or or things like that but you know you've got to figure it out for yourself mm. Mm. have you had bad hecklers I've had a few I think everyone's had a few uh, but it's uh, it's not usually hecklers it's more at, at, at a support gig where I'm supporting somebody you just can't you just don't care because mm. it's not your show you're just there playing before the main act and people are there for that so it doesn't matter but when it's at your show and my music when I do it live is quite quiet and delicate and and then so my rooms are usually pretty much dead silent which is pretty crazy and scary but then occasionally you'll get the the drunk bloke or whatever the drunk group of people who come in and just had a few too many and you kind of you're hoping the crowd does it for you but occasionally they don't and then you've kind of you can either speak up or let it go but you kind of don't you want to do the crowd a favor and make it as enjoyable for them and kind of sometimes you're going to call somebody out <laughs> mm. yeah i've got a, i've got a friend who um goes under the name whitley who um i've watched perform many many times and he is known for being being a bit of a bastard on the stage and just you know if anyone's paid money to come see him and uh obviously not watching the show he more or less boots them out it's, right. it's yeah like will embarrass them and i would never do that i can't I, I would feel too guilty but mm. i've learned a lot from that guy watching him perform <laughs> how to deal with hecklers yeah mm. <laughs> i don't understand why you would go to a show pay money mm. to heckle it's yeah it's crazy they I, I imagine usually they've just been dragged along or they've just had a few too many mm. you know and they just or suddenly forget them, while they're there and gives them a sense of significance or something yeah yeah I find that a lot when I go see comedy actually oh, you've yeah. always got one person in the crowd that's wanting to chat with the comedian and I would if I was a comedian I couldn't deal with that it would be much harder I think for a comedian to deal with a heckler than a uh, than a musician mm. yeah. I went I went and saw um, an evening with Kevin Smith mm. not long ago and he does like a and a at the start um and I don't know if you've seen any of his Q&As, but it's basically one person or two people get to ask a question because his answers go for an hour. <laughs> and he just, he just weaves this huge story. And I, I knew this, so I wanted to make sure that I was pretty close to the front of the queue to ask him a question because yeah. he's a massive hero of mine. Yeah. And I ended up being the first person I got to ask him a question. And I was the only person that got to ask him a question in, the, in, a, in this hour and 40-minute Q&A. Wow. Uh, he, yeah, he just started telling this story and at a certain point, someone from the crowd yelled out, he was talking about Comic Book Men, which is the TV series he has mm -hmm. on AMC. And someone yells out, tell him Steve Dave, which is you know a reference yeah. um, from his films. And he acknowledged that the guy had done it and then referred to him as the king of the ants. And I thought that was a, it was a really nice way of dealing with the heckler, but also kind of putting him in the position where he hadn't quite ridiculed him. Mm. He'd acknowledged the comment, 
as relevant to his story, but it also kind of said, pipe down. Yeah. But he'd done it in this kind of sweet way. Yeah, yeah. And I was quite struck by that because there was no reaction at all. There was, I don't even think the guy really realised what had happened. Um, but yeah, I could imagine that being up on stage and having people belittle what you're doing, yeah. essentially, and wanting to involve themselves or whatever could be quite distracting or disheartening. Yeah. Um, you said that your gigs are quite silent, so that would mm. be probably quite obvious. Yeah, and that's like, I mean, it's great being uh, with the style of music I play. It's kind of, you can't really hear it unless it is a silent room. So people do be quiet and that's mm. taken some getting used to. But then, yeah, when you do get that occasional one person, you, you have to kind of remember, oh shit, how do I deal with this? Mm. You know, and I'm not good at letting things slide. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll freak out and then I'll be out of my zone and won't be able to perform. So you just so yeah, lose. You kind of have to. Yeah, you lose it a lot. It's really off-putting and it's a bit embarrassing mm. if it, you know, if it turns from that and you get disconnected from your show and then you kind of you can let a lot of people down. I think you know people mm. travel miles to come see you play sometimes. So mm. if you've got one person ruining it for everybody else, it just seems a bit unfair. Mm. So you do what your mate does and just kick him out. Yeah, well, in in an, in the nicest way possible. I kind of usually, you know, I've had I've had a few friends. Usually, there's a few friends at every show, and they will kind of like be the ones who kind of got my back mm. <laughs> and be like, "Yeah, got your tribe." Yeah, just tell them to leave or shut up or mm. whatever, you know. But it's it's hard, and I don't know. It's a respect thing, you know. I wouldn't go into someone's work, and you know distract them from doing their job there's just no way that's mm. totally not the way i work so when someone does it to me i feel pretty weird about it mm. wouldn't it be weird if you just walked into like an accountant's office and just walked straight up to some guy and just started telling him your opinion of his job yeah oh you missed you know you missed the uh, the division on that one and you've got it all yeah it's just it's totally inappropriate Mm. But people can't separate that, I don't think, with entertainment. Yeah. So. Well, because they feel involved in it, I guess they exactly. feel immersed in it and they have an opinion of it and they're yeah. connected to it. Mm. And there is a difference between commentary and, and, and heckling, I think. you know, Between songs, it's not an issue. But when you're in the middle of a song and someone just bursts out laughing or says something to one of their mates or, you know, whatever, just like timing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know. and particularly with your music I mean like you've sort of been saying your gigs are quite silent and one of the things that did strike me the first song of yours I listened to I listened to your SoundCloud page but the first song of yours that I sort of deliberately listened to where I chose the song was Summer mm. and the build and the use of silence of that is magical um, yeah. it's really it's, it's quite breathtaking the way that you incorporate it and it's quite a rare trait not only in music I think in life everyone's very quick to say the next thing people feel uncomfortable yeah. in silence but actually silence can be so intimate when you're so comfortable with a person that you don't need to say anything mm. is one of the most amazingly intimate spaces that you can be in and it's the same in theatre you know when you can hear a pin drop when there's that beautiful tense moment or yeah. 
that romantic kind of just that look of knowingness between two lovers on stage or in a film or whatever not usually in a film it's got music but mm. what is it for you about the silence that is so inspiring pretty much what you just said <laughs> it's 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 very important i think and that's probably that well summer was the first song i ever put out and that was kind of where this whole thing kind of started and is re- yeah it's responsible for a lot and i was big into sound design when i made that song and i didn't think of it as a song i just put it online and that was it and then things started happening so i don't know people i love silence i think you know it's it's very important having a breath it's the same as you know it's a sound design trick more so than anything you know like you've got to know when things are right and when they've got to come in and obviously that song's pretty much more or less a cappella for the most part until the piano comes in and why would i just keep singing purely because there's no instruments it makes no sense i just feel like that's the space and timing of that song and that's how i wrote it so i'll put it out like that and yeah i think that the album has got a bit of that on it as well like a lot of kooky little sound designy wank <laughs> but yeah it's good yeah mm. i love silence you know it's yeah it's super important mm. have a breath chill out and get you know it can you know silence is powerful it can change the mood of anything really mm. Mm. and when you connect to your breath you can become yeah. more present yeah come more in the zone or whatever you want to call it with whatever you're doing in that moment and I guess just become more connected to everything around you. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a, I guess, a spiritual totally. kind of way of looking at things. Do you feel a certain, um, I don't know, a few other people that I've spoken to have, who, who, have, who either are or have been musicians have spoken about this kind of energy and this presence that exists between the musician and their audience when they're on stage and they're in the zone. Do you feel like it's a kind of spiritual experience at all? It's a weird... I don't know how to explain it, but it is weird. Yeah. In a... And it's... Yeah, it is the same. Like, even when you... Because my crowds are quiet. When I'm not singing, or when I'm not performing a song, I've got to... I feel the need to talk to them. And I try and hold back a little bit too, because I want people to... You know, you can't play a song and put them in a place and then just snap them back out of it. I feel like that's really rude. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, banter's one thing as well. Like, I can't... I'm sh- not very good at talking to people in a... When I, when I feel forced to. So, yeah, I treat that in music as well. And taking breaks is very important. And the connection, yeah, I guess between me and the audience is... It's there and you feel bizarre but you also feel comfortable Um, and i don't know if that's spiritual or if that's maybe just being a bit uncomfortable but it's something Mm. 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 do you consider yourself to be a spiritual or religious person at all no not really i'm uh i i believe what i feel and i haven't really felt anything to say that i feel something you know, I felt emotions. I felt, you know, like human being emotions mm-hmm. that kind of come with the package. But 
No, I'm not religious. I'm I live in a church, funnily enough. Oh but, wow. Uh, just it's just a house that is a church. Mm, <laughs> converted church. Yeah, converted church. But mm. um but no, not religious. I, I would say I am spiritual, absolutely. I've you know, I've had some psychedelics in my day and I've mm. I've seen I've seen things that I've never thought I'd see before. So I think there is certainly more to us than our physical form, but mm. no. I'm I'm open to it, but mm. I have no belief in anything. So what have you seen? While I've been on drugs. Mm. Oh, geez. Lots of things. Um, I think, oh, firstly, I think psychedelics are a really interesting thing. Like, I haven't done many of them, but when I've done them, I've made sure I've been in the right environment with the right people. And it's, I don't know. There was, there's time, there was this one time where I, I had taken some acid and, and I was sitting down by this river and I was just sit, sitting there, you know, and I was just tuning into this rush, like this flowing river. And I felt like I could hear the fish. And sure, there were probably fish in the river, but mm. I couldn't see them or anything, but I could hear them or, you know, and obviously when you hallucinate, I'm seeing something that if I wasn't on this drug, I would definitely not be seeing unless I had lost my marbles or whatever. Mm. So I don't know. I've seen some cool stuff, but I think the feel, the overwhelming feeling, feeling of psychedelics is a big thing. And I mm. think, you know, if you're open to it, I think you should do it. But I'm not an advocate at all. I think everyone knows their limit, and mm. and I'm not an abuser at all. But um, yeah, I'm I'm open to most things. <laughs> mm. It's a big shift in perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Mm. Do you know uh, Ram does? No. Is a um. I guess he's a spiritual teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, you should check him out. Yeah. There's a thing that he's got called Experiments in Truth. Uh, he's basically, he was a psychologist that uh, in the 50s and 60s started experimenting with hallucinogenics and it basically opened his mind to the possibilities of, you know, the universe. Mm. Um, and then he started experimenting with groups taking these psychedelics to see how they would shift spiritually and I think you would definitely yeah. enjoy his I'm teachings make you write that down before I go I shall yeah I'm R-A-M space D-A-S-S mm-hmm. excellent um, and the whole thing's on YouTube experiments in truth oh awesome that was the gateway for me into uh, into his teachings yeah um, but it is it is this kind of idea I guess that everything's kind of connected and that it's this kind of energy or um you know we i talk a little bit on this about the big cosmic joke which is that everything is kind of funny in a way <laughs> and that we you know that we all think that we matter but really we don't mm. and yeah i i think when when i think about things like that i i often refer back to um to I guess science, but in the fact that we're all, yeah, from that one, mm. you know, we're all everything, we've always been everyone mm. kind of mentality. And that's kind of how I'm living my life. Mm. So if there was a uh, a spirituality to myself, that would most likely be it, that I am you and you are me and mm. I'm just not you yet. Or you're not me yet. And, you know, I'm the sun or I'm a planet. I'm kind of everything so it's mm. yeah it's a good way to think of it it makes you feel less 
insignificant, I think. Mm. Mm. But there's something really liberating in that as well. Absolutely. Mm. Because there's no pressure on you, then you can just do what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You just, and, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, uh, in, in fate, in, uh, in, you know, everything's happened already. Mm. So, you know, you can't control it. So I, I like to, yeah, live my life in that kind of direction. Mm. So you'd probably be a very intuitive person then. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Just follow your heart and follow your soul. Yeah. You know, sometimes shit happens, but you move on and sometimes great things happen and you get excited and whatever. Just don't worry really about the past and focus mm. on now mm. more than anything. And don't even worry about the future, you know, just focus on what you're doing pretty much right now <laughs> mm. there's, a, there's a great quote uh, if you're depressed you're living in the past if you're anxious you're living in the future mm. but to be really at peace is to be living in the present mm. dead on mm. Mm. so what do you think what's the meaning of all of this for you then the meaning of life, life. And existence and creativity and I don't know I'm a bit of an absurdist when it comes to that I think you've got to make your own meaning mm. you know so yeah, there is none. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's one of the kind of through lines of this as well is that everything has no meaning, mm. but it has the meaning that we assign to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. That's dead on mm. what I think. Yeah. Mm. And you mentioned to me before off air that you live with your partner. Mm. Um, how long have you been with them for? Uh, I've only been with uh, my girlfriend for... A bit over a year, mm. and I I was in a long term relationship before I met Al uh, Al my girlfriend, um, and we were in a relationship for five years, and I'd never even questioned moving in or anything. And I think it's when you meet the right person, and the suggestion comes, hey, we should think about moving in together. And if you don't think about it, I think yeah. And then that's pretty much what I did. I was like, oh, yeah, we should. Let's do it. And it's great. And I love it. And it's, yeah, one of the best things that's happened recently. Mm. So, How did you meet? Uh, through music, funnily enough. she I was a bit of a fan of her of her music. And, and I asked her to support one of my shows. And she got there. And then I just kind of fell head over heels. That weird thing that people do. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then you did the no pants dance. Yeah. And then the no pants dance eventually happened and it was, it was on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny. One of the, again, something that comes up a lot and that I'm quite interested in is this idea that, I mean, the entertainment industry, as far as love is concerned, is kind of its own beast. A lot of people that I know have struggled to maintain long-term relationships not for a, a want of a lack of trying but simply because the lifestyle is so different to what our accountant friend that we've gone and heckled his lifestyle might be or yeah. you know what a i mean doctors are probably the same the medical industry i imagine is the same but a lawyer or someone who works in finance or real estate is a very structured lifestyle yeah whereas to be a filmmaker or a musician or an actor um, it's there's there's very little stability. Mm. 
it's got its own way of mm. moving. Mm. And so there's kind of this idea. Don't don't get me wrong. I've, I've certainly spoken to people who have dated outside of their industry quite happily and quite successfully. Um, and I feel like people who understand the lifestyle or people who are really coming from a place of love and wanting to champion their partner, it's not going to matter what they do or who they are. But how have you found um, dating? Was your previous girlfriend in music as well? No, no. She she sang, but um, she wasn't uh, living the same lifestyle at all. She was studying and very focused on on figuring out what she wanted to do mm. and uh and so and but with with al it's uh it's just been it's felt normal from day one i'm you know i met her and i was mesmerized i was like who is this girl mm. you know like it was crazy and i was like shit i've got to pursue this a little bit and not feel like I'm pursuing it a little too hard, but it, no, it just it just it felt right, and and it clearly is because we're still together and we've moved mm. in together, and it's and it, yeah, it feels good, yeah, and it's great that I get to go home to that. You know? mm. Mm. Yeah, I know. I don't know that feeling because mm. I haven't lived with a girlfriend before, but I certainly know the feeling that you're talking about of being completely mesmerized. And yeah, and I'm still learning, you know, and that's what I like. I like there's mm. so much that we we probably haven't told each other that. You know, will come out eventually, and little things and things like that. But you know, the timing's got to be right for a lot of conversations, I think, and that's exciting. Mm. Mm. It's great when you meet someone and you just want to explore yeah. every kind of aspect of who they are and who they've been. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, what was the what was your first date with her? Ah, good question. It, I guess, officially, well, there was there was a prom night. That, uh, well, she was not long after um, after after we played the gig and we kind of met. Um, she was chucking a house party, which was like prom themed, and so we met up. And I guess there was a bit of chemistry there already. And we kind of she bought me a blazer for the prom, and we weren't going to the prom together or anything, but. It was pretty much, she bought me a blazer. And I think she was waiting for me to ask her to the prom, which is so weird because, you know, we're in Australia. Yeah, it's just a house party. Where was this? Yeah. But, you know, it was kind of funny and quirky. And so we just met up for a beer and, and she bought me this blazer and I didn't ask her to the prom. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. Yeah, and I thought I was done. I was like, ah, oh, damn it, I blew it, you know. Um, but no, no. And then I went to the prom. Mm-hmm. We're uh, dateless. Uh, she had a date. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'm out. That's it. But, you know, it's a house party. It's a prom house party. It's like, it's nothing, Mm. you know? And then I kind of, we just kind of met up and we went to the Botanical Gardens for uh, for a bit of a, you know, hangout, some ciders in the park. And and then we we ended up getting locked in to the Botanical Gardens just because we were there after dark and got locked in. And so we ended up spending like three hours or whatever trying to find our way out. So it was a good time. And the love was made. Yeah, yeah. You know, it felt good. It felt great. It was a great first date. Mm. Yeah. So you have the innkeeper at the Botanical Gardens to thank. Exactly, yeah. Thank God they locked the gates. It did make it a very interesting night. And a bit of fun, like, 
when uh, when you've got when you've got your partner the first time hanging with what became my partner you know having to need a piss in a park <laughs> and you know for a guy it's easy you just go up to one of the thousands of trees in there and take a piss but for a female it's like it's pretty empowering thing to do mm. like on a first stage it's like yep yeah, I got a piss and I was like fuck yeah that's the girl for me <laughs> no, I hear you man to be that comfortable yeah kind of out of necessity I guess in one sense but also to just go fuck it let's just put this on the table right now yeah 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 it was cool it was a good time and then it just blossomed from there mm. and it's great she play on your new record um no but she's playing in my band now so she's doing some bass and some harmonies and stuff so and that's all new and great and that's awesome so and that's again adjusting to lifestyle you know it's great that i'm that she is a musician and we do have the option to play together and we can tour together or we can go on a holiday somewhere and see some live music together we've got very similar interests and you know quite some similar taste in music and mm. i admire her work and she seems to admire mine so it's you know it's it's pretty pretty giving both mm. ways mm. it's awesome yeah that's good so tell me um about your new album mm. um it's conceptual and that's again just because of film it's kind of i've always wanted to make my first album tell a story for one thing but flow and feel like one big song mm. so it's got some weird intermission things in there and some weird intros and outros and kooky NASA stuff and just you know stuff that I'm interested in quotes from some of my favorite philosophers and it's just you know it was a bit of a bitch to get all the rights to certain things that I wanted to use in yeah. there but I had to do it because I always told myself this is how I'm gonna make it so I did, yeah. Mm. But it's long. I'm going to have to cut a few tracks. I ended up recording 20. And that's ridiculous. Mm. No one's attention span can go through 20 tracks. I mean, I could. But uh, for the majority of people, I feel like, especially now where singles are the thing. Sound by generation. Yeah, to hold someone's attention for a whole album of 20 tracks would be ridiculous. So I'm, you know, I'm cutting it down to 14 which is still a long album mm. even though there's some quite short tracks in there so but yeah it's conceptual and it kind of essentially is just a growth album where I've started as a wreck and kind of come out on the other side as yeah totally on a whole new path so yeah it just kind of tells my story from when I started writing it to when I finished writing it mm. basically and I learned a lot along the way. And some talking fish thrown in. And some talking fish, absolutely. Always talking fish. What's the album called? I don't know yet. Mm. I'm yet to... I'm thinking of calling it after... I, I always had uh, initially in my mind I was going to call it Dinosaur Stampede. But then I finished the album and I was like, nah, that doesn't sound like what it is. So I'm changing it and I'm, I'm thinking at the moment of calling it Cut Love, um, which is a, one of the tracks off it, um, but that could change. I just don't know. So suggestions are welcome, but it's hard to say without people having heard it. So mm. You should call it Coming Up Next. 
coming up next. Yeah. Perfect. Then it can simultaneously <laughs> plug my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and your band uh, your, and your album every mm. time I yeah. release an episode. <laughs> Done. Sold. Mm-hmm. Um, one question I like to ask everyone before we uh, wrap it up mm. is what makes you silly? Silly? can either be what is something that makes you go silly or what is it about you that is silly right oh wow i've never ever been asked that question hmm well um i would say what will what is your most common response no don't tell me that i'll answer it first but i'm, I'm now quite curious mm. silly um good people more than anything close friends um, when I'm, you know, completely comfortable with somebody, that's kind of when, when I'm out in full force. And I'm a silly person. Everyone's a silly person, really. Mm. And uh, I guess it takes the right company. Some people suffer from terminal seriousness, though. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know a few of those. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, I don't know. That or, uh, or just being jolly and, you know, being a bit drunk. But drunk isn't necessarily silly can be obnoxious it can be obnoxious it can be rude it can be yeah it can be aggressive it can be you know everyone's different depending on what you've drunk and how much so Mm. yeah drinking isn't the right answer for this question i think genuinely legitimately sober silly would be you know my closest friends bring that out Mm. Mm. what do they draw out of you i don't know i don't know the funny side i guess hmm but, you know, I'm pretty down the line serious, can crack a joke, no worries. But when you're that comfortable with somebody that no matter what you say, you do feel like there is no judgment, then you will literally say anything. So you tend to be a bit silly mm. to say stupid shit. Like, you know, when you've got your friends and you've got an in-joke or you've got a word that makes absolutely no sense. I've got a word with my best mate. And like, what is it? It's bless Nagoy. <laughs> What the fuck does that mean? You yeah, know, it sounds funny. Sounds funny, yeah. But it, and we don't even really know what it means. But it, it'll get said every now and then, and that's that's funny and that's stupid, you know. But I don't know, people. Mm. There's my answer, people. People. Mm. Do you weave any of that kind of stuff into your uh, into music, just as little nods to your friends? Well, yeah. In the latest single, there's a bit of a. Well, yeah. Actually, throughout the album, there's a lot of references to my friends, and I'm quite literally say their names you know and that will have no reference to anyone listening to it but myself but maybe it will too maybe someone's got a friend called whoever or just got a friend that they do similar things with so yeah mm. cool mm. i'm gonna play a little uh little ditty for, yeah for me now yeah sure that'd be awesome yeah uh my name's hayden cullen and this is a this is a song called peace
Hayden Callan, ladies and gentlemen, what an awesome performance that was. What an amazing interview and an inspiring journey he has had. Keep your eyes peeled to the World Wide Web, friends, because Hayden's going to be putting out his debut two-part album early next year. And I personally can't wait to see what kind of epic extravaganza he's put together. I have absolutely no doubt that it's going to be an amazing, amazing album. And coming up next, friends, I am so, so excited to be continuing in the evolution of this show. We've spoken to actors, we've spoken to directors, we've spoken to architects, life coaches, and next week we continue dipping our toes outside of the entertainment industry pool. This woman was nominated for a Telstra Businesswoman of the Year Award. She is the CEO of her own company, and when we did this interview, she'd just gotten back from visiting Richard Branson's island. Ladies and gentlemen, coming up next Tuesday, Christine Call. Have a beautiful week, and I'll hear from you next time.